All right, so back into Romans 4, and if you guys have been tracking with us, you know that I've been kind of taking the time to explain some words that we use um, often, but just, you know, want to make sure we understand the really depth of those words and how they relate to our faith or our, our walk with the Lord and what the word says. And actually, today's word I wanted to talk about was faith, something that we talk about quite a bit. Now, the dictionary definition of faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And I think the word, really, the circle or underline is complete. There's no wavering. It's this complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And so to give you a real world world example, if I go to the doctors because I'm sick, which ain't gonna happen unless I'm dying, but if I do go to the doctors because I'm sick and they prescribe a medicine for me to take to get better, I display great faith in listening to somebody that I have no personal relationship with, that by all accounts, all I know is that he's got a little piece of paper saying he's qualified to tell me what will make me better. And then in going to pick up a medication from a pharmacist that I know nothing about, again, somebody that just has supposedly a piece of paper that I haven't seen that says he's qualified to give me an unknown chemical and tell me that it'll help me. And then putting that said substance into my body without really knowing exactly what it is. That's great faith. That's complete trust and confidence in those people and what they're telling me and what they're giving me and in that substance. So in the context of God's word, faith speaks of having complete trust or confidence in God and what he's told us in his word. And that, that faith starts with the good news. That faith starts with the gospel, that complete confidence that Jesus has died for your sins and he rose again and you're saved. You're forgiven and made right with God because of that. In today's text, we're gonna see Paul talk about what true faith looks like practically, the way it's displayed in a believer's life using Abraham as an example. So if you were here last, um, last week, we went through the first 18 verses of Romans 4 and we saw Paul use examples from the Old Testament to establish that God's plan from the beginning of humanity was always to save us or to allow us to be forgiven of our sins by his grace received through faith. It was never ever about trying to work your way to God because we can never ever do that. The law just established that, showed us that no matter how hard we tried, we could not be perfectly righteous with God and that it would only it's only something that, God could do, save us from our sin. So from front to back, that's what the Bible teaches. And one of the individuals that Paul uses as an example of someone that was declared righteous or right with God through his faith was Abraham. And today we're gonna finish Romans 4 and see Paul tell us specifically what that saving faith in his life, Abraham's life entailed. So that's where we're gonna pick it up. We're gonna do a smaller section of text today. So let me read it. And then we'll start going through it. This is Romans 4, starting in verse 19. He did not weaken in faith, talking about Abraham, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. 
That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Lord God, again, we just want to be ready to hear your word in such a way that we can receive it for how it practically applies to our lives. This topic, faith, being something I think we'd all say we know, but also understand that there are certainly times in our lives where it wavers, where we don't have that complete trust and confidence in you, Lord. And may Abraham's faith, as we go through your word today, be an example to us of the reasons why we can completely trust and be confident in you and what you say to us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we just saw Paul last week point out in verse 18 that Abraham believed God at his word and had faith in the promise God had made him. And as a result, he was able to have hope or a sure expectation of coming good. Remember, that's the definition biblically of hope. You have absolute confidence that there is good that's even gonna come from bad things because God said that. And he was in what was a hopeless situation, like or appeared to be a hopeless situation with his wife and him trying to have children as it took many years for them to conceive a child of their own after God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations or that he would have offspring. But eventually, Abraham got to see that promise come to pass or God call into existence the things that do not exist or make happen something that couldn't happen any other way, as Paul says in verse 17, as God gave life to her womb and gave them a child and they're in their old age. And Paul goes on to say about Abraham in verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And within this text, what we're gonna focus on today is Paul gives us four elements of Abraham's faith that are examples for us in our own faith in the Lord, especially when you're facing a circumstance like Abraham, something that seems impossible, you know, uh, something that seems like a grave, like we were singing earlier, something that seems like there's no way this isn't gonna be good. It's only gonna turn out bad. Those are the times we need faith most. We need confidence and trust that God is going to do what he has said he's gonna do. And there's four four elements of his faith that I think are helpful for us. The first being, write this down if you're a note taker, Abraham did not focus on his own limitations. Okay, Abraham did not focus on his own limitations. Abraham was 75 years old when God first called and first promised to make him a father of nations in Genesis 12, or he basically promised him offspring when he was 75. And then Genesis 15, you fast forward, when he's around 86, God reiterates the promise, knew he needed to be re-encouraged, says, I'm still gonna do this. Then in Genesis 17, when Abraham was 99, God said, 
gonna give you a child a year from now to you and your wife. And then Abraham being 100 and Sarah being 90 years old was when that promise was ultimately fulfilled by God as Isaac was born to them in Genesis 21, some 25 years after God first made that promise to him. There almost always being a time gap between the promises of God being made and the performance of God in fulfilling them. One of the reasons being for the preparation that's always necessary for you to be ready for what it is that God wants to give you or do in your life. But here's the thing. Within that time frame between God making the promise and God actually fulfilling it, we don't have to look too hard often to see potential limitations to God being able to keep that promise to us in our own understanding, in our own perception. Would you guys agree with that? God says one thing, but from your understanding, that is not gonna happen or this thing is gonna get in the way of that or there's no way I'm gonna see the, this victory that like we were singing earlier in, in this battle. You know, those are, those are the limitations we see in our own understanding. For Abraham, it was his body reproductively being as good as dead or Sarah being barren her whole life, as verse 19 says. But despite those circumstances, Abraham chose to believe God's promise to give him offspring. Instead of considering the frailties of his flesh, he counted on the faithfulness of God. Instead of believing that his circumstances of being old or Sarah being barren would somehow prevent God from fulfilling his word to him, he trusted in the Lord with his whole heart and did not lean on his own understanding. As Proverbs 3, 5, or 3, 5 tells us, right? So too, so too with us in our own lives, maybe we're waiting for God to keep one of the many promises that he's made to us in his word. Maybe there's something specifically like a call he's given you on your life a specific promise like he made to Abraham, like I'm gonna make you a father of many nations that you're waiting to see still. Maybe you've yet to see the good that God promises us in Romans 8, 28 come from that bad thing you went through or that hard thing that you are going through right now that has happened as a result of living in a sinful, fallen world, maybe even a result of your own sin and the consequences that always come with sin. But rest assured, God can and will do what he says. You can bet your bank on it every time. And while you wait, you need to make sure, we need to make sure that our eyes aren't on the limitations that we see in front of us, which can cause doubt and unbelief but rather on the one who has no limits so that we too can be like Abraham who in hope he believed against hope as verse 18 says, or the idea is that he had hope in what appeared to be a hopeless situation. He believed he was going to win when there was no reason to believe that a victory was coming. And here's the thing. Some of you guys know my wife's and I testimony that at one point in our lives, 
we believe the Lord was calling us into full-time ministry, into the mission field. When I say full-time ministry, we're all in full-time ministry, all right? The moment you place your faith in Jesus, you are a missionary wherever he has you, okay? But when I say full-time ministry, I just mean like you're, you're, there's something specific, like being a pastor, being a, a missionary, you know, being on staff, like that, that's, that's the type of thing. Like we believe he was calling us full-time into the mission field, all right? And we waited a long time for the Lord to open that door to us for many years. And I use that example because over time, the Lord was certainly preparing us for a full-time ministry, but for a totally different path than we envisioned, or the answer to our prayers was much different than we had originally anticipated. And there were tons of practical lessons the Lord was teaching us through serving our church family in that season of waiting that were absolutely vital to the roles we're in right now, just at a smaller scale. Many of you guys knew that I was a young adult pastor or I pastored our young adult group while working like a, a normal job as an engineer for ODOT for seven or eight years. And that was in essence like pastoring a little church. It's just smaller scale, like 50 or so people compared to like the church now. But God was using that to prepare me but there were two main works the Lord had to do in us before we could even be ready for that season that he was calling us into. Before we ever even got there in the waiting period, the, one of the main ones was he had to get us to a place of being willing to do whatever he said, even if we didn't understand it. Because being a pastor was something that I didn't see for myself, that my wife didn't see for me. And had he called me into that earlier, I probably would have said, oh, heck no. That's not what I want to do. I want to do this for you, Lord. So he had to get us to a place of being willing to do whatever, whether it made sense to us or not. He also had to get us to a place of being content that this, this was our home. We had kind of always come up here and just wanted to be faithful where we were at, but kind of always looking towards that next thing the Lord was calling us to and thinking it was going to be moving to Columbia and serving orphans and, and widows. And I clearly remember it being not long after my wife and I started sensing that, you know what? I believe the Lord just wants us to plant roots and just be content where we're at, just keep being faithful. And we kind of came to that unity in that. And then we started like, we had sold our house in Astoria and thought that was the moment the Lord was gonna call us to the mission field. And we were in a rental two years later taking it taking way longer than we thought. And the Lord kind of gave us this, this piece about just planting roots and settling. And as soon as we started looking for houses, that's when my pastor approached me about praying about taking over for him as he was getting called into something else here. So even though at the time, like again, I didn't understand why the Lord was asking me to be a pastor, I'm so glad that I was able to move forward in faith, trusting him in his word instead of leaning on my own understanding because even though there's surely been trials, the blessings of shepherding God's people far outweigh them. And mainly, one of the, the main ones is that I get to see God be so faithful to keep his word to me over and over again just because I'm constantly in this place of trying to know what his word is and trying to study it and trying to follow it and trying to help people understand it. So by doing that, I get to see him be faithful to keep it over and over again. And 
including in many situations that look hopeless because I'm exposed to not just my life, other people's lives. So I see all these situations that in my understanding appear to be hopeless. And then I see God keep his word and do exactly what he's gonna say over and over again. And what that leads to is that there's this faith and confidence in God that I have that's absolutely never been greater. It says in uh, Ephesians 6.10 that we're to be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. You can only do that with complete trust and confidence in God. When you have faith as he intends you to have, you will be strong and mighty in the Lord, okay? Because you know who it is that is on your side, is working things for you. I remember um, for a while as, as I first started kind of getting in the routine <coughs> of teaching weekly, like it scared me to death every week I came up here. I mean, there was fear and trembling, not just for reverence of teaching God's word, which I think should always be there, but I was just scared to death of talking in front of people and what they thought of me and stuff. And it was an unenjoyable un un thing. I'm like, really, Lord, this is what you call me to do for like inevitably, you know, forever? Or like, you know, till you say stop? I'm not liking this. this. I hate this. Every Sunday, it's not fun at all. I guess there's just my cross to carry. And over the time, the Lord was teaching me these practical lessons about how, despite what I felt and, you know, like things like, you know, like you focus too much on what people think about you when all I'm asking is for you to glorify me. And if you really, that's all you care about. It doesn't really matter what somebody thinks. As long as you're glorifying me, as long as you're honoring my word, these lessons that are so freeing in our lives, when God teaches us them, I mean, we know them in his word, but when we actually learn them, we can live in that joy, that peace that he wants us. But when he's teaching me these things, at one point it just clicked. And then it became fun. And then it was like, because I had all the confidence in him, not myself. I wasn't trying in my effort. I was relying on him and his promises. And I remember people like saying, like, you just look like you're having a lot more fun. You look more free. Like there's more, and they're like, why is it? You're just getting used to it. It's like, no, I just seen God, despite my insufficiencies, like honor himself and glorify his words so much now that it's like, I just am absolutely confident. He's going to do what he says. If I present his word accurately and rightly, he's going to glorify himself. He's going to honor it. He's going to save people. He's going to change people's lives. And that's how it is for any of us, right? When we see God do those things. And, 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 and so one of the ways that we can make sure that our focus stays on the Lord, instead of going to those, those limitations or those, those perceptions we have of our circumstances, it's given in Verse 20, and this leads to the second element of Abraham's faith that I want you to note. The first one, remember, is that um, Abraham did not focus on his own limitations. Second one is that God, or Abraham gave God glory, as verse 20 says, or he praised the Lord. And as verse 20 says, it says, he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, or as he acknowledged God's awesomeness through his worship of the Lord. That's what worship is, where singing praises. You can worship just by talking to God. You're thanking him for who he is, for his mercy, for his love. You're thanking him for specific things that he's done in his life, for those graves he's turned into gardens, 
That's giving God glory. That's praising. That's worshiping God. And as he did that, his faith in God in his word was strengthened. And that's what allowed Abraham to keep enduring through that trial of not being able to have a child for so long. His faith not wavering, but rather being steadfast, as verse 20 says, or consistent. Now, here's the thing I want you to know. It's not like he always had that super faith. Because it also says in verse 20 that his faith grew strong, which means that it wasn't always strong. As we see instances, if you know Abraham's life, where surely he lacked faith. One of those instances was when he listened to his wife who had the idea in her frustration of not seeing God give them a child. Here, take my servant, Hagar, have a child with her. There was a lack of faith there. And then we see him in his old age when God actually reaffirms a promise to him. How does he react to God when God says, I'm still gonna give you a child? He scoffs at him, right? He's like, are you gonna give me a child in my old age? As if God can't do that. All right, so certainly he had a lack of faith at those times. And it is interesting that those indiscretions or those lack, those instances of lack of faith by Abraham aren't mentioned here though, anywhere by Paul. You ever wonder why? Anyone want to take a guess? Well, Hebrews 8, 12 gives us some understanding on this because it says, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Is Jesus sacrificed on the cross, through that you were justified or made just as you had no sin. And that's so God could forget them. So instead of concentrating on Abraham's failures here, Paul commends him on his faith because that's what allowed Abraham to be forgiven of the sin of, in his life and for God to declare him as righteous, as verse 22 says. No point remembering that Jesus paid for it. Amen? But what we see here is that this strong faith of Abraham didn't happen overnight, but instead took time to grow. As Abraham lived a life consistently looking to God to lead him and saw God come through over and over again, or in essence, God um, gave Abraham reason after reason to praise him over the course of his life or glorify God, it strengthened his faith in God. And so too with us, the more devoted you are to following Jesus in your life, the more focused you are on, I just want to do what God says. I just want to be in his will. The more opportunities you're giving him to show you his goodness, his faithfulness, his awesomeness. And when he does, you will have reason after reason to praise him. And when I worship the Lord for who he is and what he's done for me in my life, what I found is that faith comes and fear flees. All right? Every time. Have you ever come to church on a Sunday morning? Please tell me I'm not the only one. And you come in here with all types of baggage from whatever happened, probably just the kids going crazy to get them in the car and get them there and you losing your temper to go to church, whatever it is. You come in here and your mind's not on God at all. It's on all the limitations in front of you or on a, whatever. And you're in a negative attitude, what, just not feeling like worshiping God, wondering why you're even at church. 
or struggling with unbelief, whatever it might be. And as soon as you start worshiping, as soon as you start praising the Lord, maybe even before you get in here, just as you're talking to other believers and they're just saying, man, God loves you. Or, you know, like just having a spiritual conversation and they're just like reminding you of God's promises. All of a sudden your attitude starts to change, right? Because what's happening is your focus is getting off of what you see and what you perceive and it's getting to where it needs to be the things above in his goodness and his faithfulness. Same thing happens when I go into my prayer journal. Every day I do a section of my prayer journal. It has prayers that I, that I want to pray regularly. I don't treat it like a legalistic thing. I have impromptu prayer too, but there are specific things I want to commit to prayer. And I go through it. And whenever God answers a prayer, one side of the journal is my prayer. The other side's answered prayers. And I start going through all these answered prayers. Praise God for this. Praise God for this. And by the time I'm through that thing, his past faithfulness has led to a present trust. I'm just praising him. I'm just thanking him. Amen? That's how our worship of God, it, it, it'll feed your faith in God and ultimately cause that faith to grow because it'll help you keep your focus where it should be. Amen? So we want to be that. We want to be those that aren't focused on our limitations. We want to be those that are praising God constantly. And then the third thing, in Abraham's worship of God, it, 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 it didn't just help keep his, it doesn't help you just keep your focus on God himself, but also on his promises that he's made you in his word, that you've seen him be faithful to keep over and over again. And that leads to the third thing. Abraham did not lower his expectations. Or as verse 21 says, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. His faith being rooted in believing that God not only would do what he said because of God's love for him, confident he would do it, but that he also was more than capable of doing it. He would do it and that he most surely could do it because of who God was. And this confident faith in God's word was demonstrated by his actions, okay? Because Isaac being born was very much a miraculous conception, but it was in no way an immaculate conception like Jesus. You see, Abraham didn't just wait around for God to create a child in Sarah's womb. He took action in having marital relations with his wife, even into a hundred years old despite her barrenness, trusting God to give them the child he had promised, which eventually he did. Any true faith is always gonna be demonstrated in your actions. That is what James is talking about in James 2.17 when he says, faith without works is dead because our obedience to God in his word is faith in action. So if we really believe God is gonna move the mountain in front of us, guess what? You're gonna pick up a shovel and you're gonna help so that God can work through your effort and fulfill the promise he has made to you. When God tells you something, that does not mean we get to sit on our butts and do nothing, okay? On the contrary, we should start moving forward toward that promise as God gives us those next steps, those open doors. And surely if you run into a closed door, we let God redirect us and keep us in track for what he wants. Sometimes we can be so afraid 
of making a mistake in following God that we can just sit there paralyzed and do absolutely nothing, waiting for him to somehow just miraculously make it happen. And I'm here to tell you, that's not faith, folks. That's fear that's driving your actions. The reality is, if God has told you something, you have his word, first and foremost, to guide you if that is a good thing worth pursuing. Because if it doesn't, if it's not contrary to God's word, if it's in line with what his word says, it lines up with it, then what real good reason is there not for you to move forward in that in faith, looking to him to, to open up that door or lead you to that promise? And sure, we might make mistakes along the way, misreading the situation, but I would much rather fall forward or maybe even potentially fall backward, if you will, and miss out on, 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 on what God wants to be doing in my life from being complacent. I don't want to take that chance. I'd rather go forward in what he's leading me into and just take the chance of misreading and letting him redirect me. And I can have total faith that he's going to do that if I get off, off track because it says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. The key to that passage is that you're seeking his will, all right? Which takes humility. If you're seeking his will, again, this is not Chris Suit's will, not what I perceive God's will. Like I'm moving forward in what I think God's will is, but I'm always submitted into like, well, if this isn't your will, Lord, just redirect me. This is what seems right. So I'm gonna go that direction but I'm open to whatever. I just want to do what you want. That allows God to take the steering wheel and drive you. When I thought the Lord was calling our family into the mission field, that obviously did not contradict God's word. Okay, we were wanting to go to serve with our friends down at an orphanage in Columbia. James 1.27 says that's pure and spotless, undefiled religion, right? Take care of orphans. So <clears throat> that was a good desire. It just wasn't what God desired for us specifically at that time. And the Lord used the pursuit of that desire to prepare us for something else he had for us while at the same time, faithfully guiding us in the direction he wanted us to go. The key being that we truly desired the will of the Lord above all else in our lives, not just what we wanted to do or what we thought was best. And that enabled him to lead us into it. Amen. And that leads to the fourth element of Abraham's faith that I want you to note. The fourth and final one. Abraham handed God the situation. Abraham handed God the situation. Abraham understood who it was that made the promise. And he was also in charge of keeping it or making it happen. Abraham wasn't responsible for that. The one who made the promise was. And therefore, he looked to God to do, store, to do so instead of trying to make it happen in his own timing and by his own power, which didn't mean he stood around and did nothing, as I told you earlier, but rather that his faith wasn't in his own understanding of the situation or in, in his own efforts to make things happen, but rather in the God that not only made the promise to him, but was way more capable of ensuring it came to pass and that resulted in him letting God lead him into the promise according to God's perfect will and timing. And that, folks, 
is true faith. That's the faith that was counted to him as righteousness, as Paul reiterates in verse 21. And I think we have to be really careful of not looking at Abraham's faith here that allowed him to give God this situation and lead him right into it and think of that as some super Christian type faith that we can never achieve is the reality is based off the following verses I'm about to read to you. If you've believed in the good news of Jesus Christ, you've already achieved it. it says in verse 23, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The righteousness that Abraham received through faith in God is meant to be an example for you and me in showing you and me that the same justification through faith that Abraham received is available to all of us as well through believing the good news about Jesus Christ who died on the cross, but he was also raised from the dead as verse 24 says, which proved he was in fact the perfect sacrifice that was required to pay the price for your sins because if he wasn't, if he was guilty of sin, he would have stayed dead. It would have had a hold on him, but he didn't, he conquered death. That proved that he was the sacrifice needed to pay the price for sins. That proves that you were forgiven of your sin. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen, all right? That's the proof. But here's the thing, here's what he's get, getting at. That's an example for us. Abraham's an example for us that through faith in Jesus, you can have the same righteousness. You can have the same justification. And if you believe that, if you believe the gospel, then you're exercising the same type of faith as Abraham. That's what he's getting at here, all right? Your faith in the good news about Jesus being why you have been declared righteous by God and have a relationship with him just as with Abraham, okay? Our belief in the gospel is what separates us from everyone else in this world that hasn't believed in Jesus. In case you haven't noticed, this world mocks the gospel and science disputes it. And even though the rest of the world, like them, we never physically saw Jesus we didn't see what he went through on the cross. By God's grace, you've been given the faith to believe what the rest of the world doesn't. And as such, if you have faith in the gospel or if you believe that Jesus is God, he died for your sins and he rose again, faith in all the other promises of God is an easy thing. It should be. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. Here's the thing. When I first moved up here, I got into running. And... um. I hated running. Well, I played football. So you run 40 yard sprints, that's it. Um, and, uh, but I got into it just to stay in shape. After college, you put on some extra weight, stuff like that, just trying to stay in shape. All that to say is uh, I, I went from running a 5K cause I'm like, oh, this is pretty simple. I'm gonna run a marathon, <laughs> big jump. But I did the training for it and it really wasn't that bad. And so I did the Portland marathon. But after running that marathon, after running 26.2 miles, any distance underneath that seems easy, okay? Because you already know what you're capable of. And so when you look at it from that perspective, even if you go on a 10-mile jog, it's like cake, easy. I really ran this. And so too with our faith, when we have exercised the same huge faith as Abraham, who Romans 4.16, if you remember, is called the father of all faith, 
in believing the good news about Jesus, you've exercised that same huge faith as the father of faith. If you understand that, if we believe that, we should really not worry about anything else in this life. Because if God could save us from our sin, if he would save you from your sin, your great sin as we spent the first three chapters of Romans talking about, if God could save you from that, surely won't he save you from anything else? Which actually we're gonna see in Romans 8. Paul says that very same thing. If he saved you, if he loved you this much, went to this great extent of giving his son to die on the cross to save you from your sin, don't you think he's gonna save you from that limitation you think in front of you? He's gonna see you right through into the next life to be with him, all right? And because you've already shown that amazing faith in God like Abraham, you can use that same faith to believe that God is going to keep his promises to you with whatever you might face from that point on in this life. And here's one of the main reasons, because as it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Circle that word fulfilled or underline in your Bible because that's past tense, which means from God's perspective, because it's a done deal, every single promise he's made to you, that victory you're still looking for, that good you're waiting for, it's happened, all right? Even if you have not seen it yet, you can be absolutely sure because of your faith in Christ, because you've been made a child of God, because you are God's, that you will see the promise fulfilled in your life. No doubt about it. You can bank on it just as Abraham did. Amen? Amen. Well, as the worship team comes up here, let me just remind you kind of from a practical perspective of what we talked about today. So if we're struggling with faith, you might not be struggling now. Surely you're gonna struggle at some point. We all do. One of the reasons is because the mountains just keep getting bigger as you follow Jesus because you wouldn't grow otherwise. Your faith wouldn't grow. At first, with Abraham, it was just believing, hey, I want you to leave your hometown. Leave her. Then it's like, well, there are other promises, but then it's like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a baby, even though up to 75 years, you, ha- you haven't had one yet. Then it was, take that baby and go and sacrifice him for me up on the top of the mountain. So those mountains just kept getting bigger and that was to build his faith. That was to grow his faith. And eventually he got to a point where, as it said earlier, it was unwavering because he had seen God do so much. He had seen God level such big mountains that he's like, dude, I don't care how big this thing is in front of me. God has got it. So when we're struggling with faith in our life, we got to get our minds off those limitations. And we got to get back onto the one that has knocked over so many mountains in our life already. Okay? And that will lead you to naturally praising him for his past faithfulness. You'll think of all those mountains he knocked over for you and you will thank him for it. And that'll lead to a present trust in whatever circumstance you're facing, which will allow you to move forward in faith, whatever presently you're dealing with, believing that God will do what he said, just like he's always said he will, which will allow you to hand the situation over to him 
knowing it's his to handle, and that will let him lead you into the promise according to his perfect timing and his perfect will. Amen? Every time, every time, that's, God will do it. He will surely do it. So if you're somebody that's struggling right now to have faith in something in your life, and you're a believer, this is God reminding you, you have no reason for disbelief. This is God reminding you, get your eyes off whatever you see that, you, that is a limitation for you because it's not a limitation for him and get your eyes back on him. Start thinking of all the things he's already done, all the promises he kept and praise him for those. And that'll get your focus back in the right place. It'll allow you to trust him. It'll allow you to remember the promises of his word, which will allow you to hand that situation over to him so he can fulfill those promises and lead you into it. If you're somebody coming here today and you just have no reason I mean, without God, without Jesus in your life, you truly, you, you have a reason to be discouraged. You have a reason to be anxious because you have no promises. All you have is your own efforts. All you have is your own understanding. And quite frankly, we've all been there before we believed in Jesus. And we know exactly how horrible that is because my efforts don't always prevail. Often they don't. And in my own understanding, that hopeless situation might very well stay hopeless. There's, there's nothing to hope in. But I'm telling you here, because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross and paying the price required to satisfy God, who's just and had to justly deal with your sins, he did so through Jesus, his son, at the cross. Since that price of your that that penalty of your sin has been paid for, you can be forgiven of your sin and made right with God. You can be declared righteous today through believing in the good news, believing in Jesus, believing in what he did, believing that he rose from the dead. You can have God's spirit enter into you as you repent of your sin, you turn away from your sin, you go to God to receive that gift of forgiveness you call out to God for help and he comes into your life and you're changed. And from that moment on, you have every reason to be hopeful because you're his child. And just as I would never let anything bad happen to my child, even though I'm limited, God isn't. And he will never let anything. Doesn't mean you won't go through hard things in this life because this life is full of hard things. Jesus was honest about that, but God is so powerful, he will work those hard and difficult and bad things even for your good. One day you'll look back and you'll see that every promise he made was fulfilled. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's respond to God with worship. And we're gonna have our prayer team around the room. And if the Holy Spirit right now is just ministering to your heart, you're like, this is a word for me. I needed to hear that. It's almost like you're talking to me in the situation. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit because God is talking to you. He loves you and he cares about you that much that he's ministering just to you today. He's speaking to you. And the, one of the best things you can do is to go up and, and receive prayer with your brothers and sisters to help them, in a sense, carry that weight with you and to pray. There, there's an encouragement that happens with that. There's a special blessing where two or more pray and they agree together. 
God loves it when his people come together and pray. So come up and get prayer. If you need to receive the Lord as your, as your savior and you don't know how to do that, it's just simply talking to him. But if you want help, come up and pray. We'll pray with you. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you've given us every reason to place our faith in you and that you've been so faithful to keep all your promises to us all through our life. May we never lose sight of that. May we not focus on the things we don't understand, but on the one that has given us his words so we can truly understand, and that's you. You are the one sure thing we can always count on, Lord. And we want our faith rooted in you and you alone, just as Abraham's was. And we wanna have that same confident trust an expectation of good because you've said so, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.